there are three steps to gratitude that we normally uh, recommend. When I feel that there is nothing to do, then I am ready to act. Because when you're fearful, uh, you're docile. One could almost define the humans as the worrying animal. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Thank you. Thank you, Brother David. I wanted to start by asking you about prayer and meditation. Do you see that there's a, a distinction between those two? Well, of course, it all depends on how you define prayer and meditation. <clears throat> but if you understand meditation as allowing yourself to sink into that great all oneness, in which we are at home, whether we realize it or not, if we understand meditation as letting ourselves down into that great oneness with all, then you can say it is a form of prayer. Prayer is any, as I understand it, is any interaction with that great mystery that confronts us at every moment. Mm. And meditation is quite focused and conscious, uh, but that interaction goes on at every moment of daily life. This, the way that you're describing it, this um, falling into the great mystery, right? And that being home, a sense of home. Why, why do you use that word that this is, uh, this is like returning home? Because I use the word home because when you get there in your meditation, <laughs> You have the feeling that you, this is where you belong. Mm. This is where you belong. That's where you started, and that's where you will end up, and that's where you always belong. And home is where you belong. I take it in this very simple sense. Mm. And would you say that the gratitude is waiting there to meet us when we go home? Is that your experience? I must ask you to talk quite loudly because yeah. I'm hard of hearing. Sure. Would you say that the gratitude is waiting ah. for us there at our home when we go there? Is it is it there? 
No, uh, that's not how I would put it. Uh, I know it's very interesting. Let me first say why I would not normally put it that way, because gratitude is our attitude. It's not something that comes from the outside. It is our attitude. It is our appreciation of a gift that is a pure gift, must be a pure gift. We haven't bought it or paid for it. Or, and it's pure, <coughs> pure gift and very valuable to us. When those two things come together, then gratitude rises up in our heart. So I think of gratitude as on our side. And it is gratitude towards life, towards everything in life that comes to us at that moment. But then I said, well, maybe when you say gratitude is waiting there for us, you have a point. I remembered that uh, in my book, uh, 99 Names of God, in which I uh, meditated on the 99 uh, names of God in Islam, uh, I came across one name in which God is called the Grateful One. Mm. So uh, gratitude uh, is not only our attitude, I guess you could say, but is also part of what at every moment is given to us by life and by that great heart of life, that great Tao that we call God, if we want to use that term. Hmm. Do you find that that speed is an important um, thing to be aware of in relation to gratitude, that uh, to experience the sensation of gratitude, that first I need to slow down? There, we, there are three steps to gratitude that we normally uh, recommend. And the first one is the one you have just now mentioned. Slow down or stop. Stop is the word. You have to really stop because otherwise everything goes just so fast by that we don't even, uh, can't even focus on anything on the present moment. So the stop brings us into the present moment. And then the second step will be look. What does this moment give you? And what does it ask from you? And the third step is go, do something, make something out of it, out of this gift. Because mm. every gift is at the same time a challenge to do something with it. So the stop, look, go is really a pretty good uh, little mantra <laughs> for living. <laughs> I love that. I had something that came to me recently that that when 
I feel that there is nothing to do, then I am ready to act. That's very beautiful. And of course, you can emphasize it differently that you said when you feel that there's nothing to do, uh, that there's nothing to do, do nothing is, a, is very different from not doing anything. Nothing, this great nothing. Just like when people say, may nothing happen to you. Right, that's the greatest thing that can happen. <laughs> nothing happened to me. Wow, <laughs> that's <laughs> everything. <laughs> that's ah. what life is all about. Let nothing happen to you. But of course, that speaks of nothing in a different sense than uh, we normally do, because normally for us, it means just not anything. <laughs> right, but right. Yeah. Nothing that's pregnant with everything. Yeah, you know, I wonder if in the future, there'll be a way of, of measuring the effect of, you know, meditation and, and prayer, right? Because something that happened in my life that really changed things was when I had the sense that the way that I'm feeling that is sent out into the world that I don't know what the effect is that it's having, but it's having an effect. And once I felt that truth, that gave me more purpose to spend time with the nothing, like what you're saying, that it's really something to be spending time in, in, in nothing. Um, yeah, you know, because there's this image of people that are meditating or praying and that they're, they're not really doing anything. But I think in the future, we might even be able to measure the vibrations that are be set, being sent out and having a positive ripple effect in the world. That sounds like Swami said Shiddhananda would say something. He was always interested in having uh, scientific measurements for things. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's not impossible, but uh, more important is that you yourself can measure it, as you said. That's really the important thing, because the other one isn't going to convince anybody. It's the sort of thing that you have to do yourself. Right. And in a way, I think, too, is like letting letting go of 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 needing to convince anyone of anything is also, I think, an important part uh, on the path, I would say. Yeah, it's not really my business. My business is to work on this this being the best I can and just have faith that that's going to do the most good. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Swami Satchidananda. Uh, can you share a little bit about what that was like? Yeah. He was a very, very dear friend and an admired teacher to me. I owe him very, very much. And uh, he was also always great fun to be with was a great practical joker all the time <laughs> uh, 
I think he had really a fulfilled life, full life. There was nothing lacking in that sense, fulfilled life. And that is such a beautiful example, that is such a beautiful uh, teaching in itself. Just to look at him. When, you know, I was reading about your, your time with him and, and some other teachers as well, when, can you describe what it's like to be around that, that sort of energy and the effect that it has on you to feel supported in that kind of way, maybe with, with other people that are finding similar truth and priorities as you are? Yes, you, you said that. Uh, just as you put it, being around this energy energizes you yourself. And uh, one of the great things about Swamiji was that very authentically, he could identify not only with Hindus, but with Christians, with uh, Jews, with Buddhists, with all others. Uh, I remember one time, uh, that happened very rarely, but one time a heckler was in the back of the room and he was sort of, was one of the fundamental Christians and he was challenging uh, Swamiji and Swamiji very calmly uh, answered him. And then the man says, uh, you haven't even uh, met Jesus. And Swamiji said, Oh, yes, I surely met him. <laughs> that was absolutely convincing. <laughs> Love that. Um, shifting to Jesus, you know, one of the quote that stands out to me that you used is that the greatest among you ought to be a servant to all, right? And so I wonder, even with the great fame of, of Jesus, right, why does this concept seem so hard to, to implement still, right? Well, uh, Somehow, a large part of the Christian tradition uh, has taken a very un-Christian path. That is just sad. I'm afraid that happens also to other traditions, but I'm not going to talk about other traditions. I'm talking about my own with great sorrow, but <clears throat> the message that Jesus brought in living as a very poor person, with poor persons, in a land that was occupied by the Romans, and oppressed and exploited by the Romans, the message that he brought was 
revolutionary. Uh, we can have another way of living together, not this power pyramid of the Romans, but a network of love. That was the main message. And a very large part of the tra tradition soon after him started building a power pyramid. And again and again in the history of the church, 2000 years now, uh, the people would come along that really lived that life. For instance, St. Francis of Assisi. And everybody sees that and says, that's wonderful. Everybody likes St. Francis. Uh, they may even not know why preaches to the birds and uh, is nice to the animals or something like that. <laughs> no, it was that he uh, had a completely different worldview. It wasn't a power pyramid and not even God sitting on top of this power pyramid, but it was a brotherhood and sisterhood of, of everybody, including animals and plants. And that was also the great message of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. And uh, the greatest, as you said, the greatest among you should be the servant of all. That's a very good expression, one of the key stones of that message. And not peace through conquering and through power, but power through peace. Mm. So I wonder, you know, what leads human beings towards this power pyramid, right? Like wh why does this seem to be coming again and again, these power pyramids? Is it is it a fear of, of, of needing something else to validate a person that I become important if I'm higher up uh, the pyramid? You mentioned the key word and it's fear. Fear is the key word here. Uh, <clears throat> Fear to lose power, as you said. Fear that there is not enough around for everybody that makes you greedy. Fear that others will get ahead of you that makes you, uh, creates rivalry. Uh, it's always fear. Uh, and the opposite of fear is trust. Trust in life, trust in life. And anxiety is something different from fear. Anxiety is unavoidable in life. Anxiety, the very word comes from angustia, from narrowness. When we are anxious, we feel uh, that our chest gets narrow, our throat gets narrow, everything gets narrow. Uh, that is unavoidable in life. We come 
into tight spots, as we call it in life. But then that is the moment when we need to decide, am I going to trust life and let it carry me through? Or am I going to fear? And that means I'm putting out my bristles and to say, no, 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 no. And I uh, uh, get stuck in the narrow spot. What should happen if I say, no, no, we get stuck. And this is so basic to life that we are even born into this life through a very narrow birth canal. And naturally, intuitively, we go through with it. But later on in life, we have to recover consciously the trust that we had sort of unconsciously as babies when we were born. And we are born many times in the course of life. And if we trust, we can even trust that our last moment, which will be a very anxious moment, we can't help that, will be a new birth. We don't know yet, no idea what it will be, but we trust. So trust is the only uh, attitude, trust in life is the only attitude that even makes life even bearable, I would say. Mm. And our time suffers from the fact that it is fear-ridden. And those in power, those in power of this, on top of this power pyramid, uh, want to make us more and more fearful. Uh, all these fear mongers are around. Uh, because when you're fearful, uh, you're docile. Anybody can lead you around by the nose when you're fearful. So not to fear. And in the Bible, this is many other books, I'm sure, too, sacred books of the world, but uh, in the Bible, at any rate, over and over again, we read, fear not, fear not. Never says, don't be anxious. That would be a very wrong translation. I've even found wrong translations like that. But uh, that doesn't isn't what it says. It says, fear not. Even when you're very anxious, fear not. Go through the anxiety. I wonder if, you know, the capacity of the human mind is maybe what gets in between me and trusting, right? Because my mind can think of so much is, is such a, a capable tool, right? That, that what I notice is that the human mind thinks that it knows, Right. And, and, and forgets humility. And even though I know so much, I know such a small amount in what's right. And so if that's the truth, to me, recognizing that truth then leads me to trust and have faith and, and, and let go to what's unfolding. Yeah. But if, if, 
life were not supporting us in millions of ways that we don't have never heard about, uh, simply our body, we couldn't survive for a minute. Uh, cells are constantly dying and reborn in our body. Uh, our breathing goes on, but automatically, our heartbeat goes on automatically, automatically, naturally. So we can't do anything. And that's also in the New Testament where Jesus says, you can't even add a little stretch to your life. Uh, why are you afraid? You know, trust, trust. And um, like the flowers of the field, they don't worry. <laughs> flowers don't worry. Animals don't worry. Why don't we worry? <laughs> One could almost define the humans as the worrying animal. <laughs> it seems that this might be a result of our, our fear of death, right? And one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about and that you emphasize, right, is this relationship with death, to have a relationship with death, to have death before one's eyes at all times, right? And that is really what led you on this path. So can you speak a little bit about your relationship with death years later? Is the remembrance of death an important attitude or practice for you still? Oh, it has been uh, every day of my life. I cannot remember a, a day in all this long time that I wasn't very clearly having death as a sort of horizon for what I was experiencing, not in any negative sense of being afraid of it or anxious about it. You can't change it anyway. You might, every day is a gift, every moment is a gift. Uh, the ceiling can fall in, uh, has happened before, or people have had uh, other things happen to them that, uh, Death is not something that comes only at, at the end of a long life, but once you have reached the high, high age as I have, it's very near, and so you better make friends with it. Uh, and not by imagining what's going to happen or planning or anything like that, I have no energy uh, to do all that. I just want to be fully present to this moment, respond fully to this moment, and then when, if that moment happens to be the last moment, I will also fully respond to it. That's all. Hmm. Hmm. And for the, the, this fear that we have, it seems that gratitude is a direct antidote for that, that if I'm, I'm grateful, then yeah. there's no fear there, right? No, because the opposite of fear is trust. And the presupposition for gratitude is trust in life. 
unless you trust in life, you can't be grateful. You, can't, you will always think if you don't trust, oh, maybe this is a, a trick or this is a trap or this is a bribe or whatever. To simply accept it like a child, trusting, that makes you grateful. And that trust is the opposite of fear. So practicing living gratefully is really uh, practicing living fearlessly. But also, would you say that there's a distinction between thinking it in the mind and experiencing it in, in the body? Is that really important? The difference between having the thought of trust or the thought of gratitude and the experience of it? That is the, the gap uh, in, in, in that runs all the way through every spiritual practice. Uh, do, uh, do you have it in your mind? Or do you have? Do you embody it? And I myself don't want to be too quick to say that I'm embodying it. Uh, I'm happy that I have it at least in my mind, and now I'm working every moment to embody it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, love that. Um, Put your before, finger right yeah. on the important point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I noticed it's a practice. There was some kind of breakthrough that happened from, you know, and, and I think it really is about practicing the embodying, right. But that first, that first time when you embody the gratitude and you feel it, it's like, Whoa. And then now I can practice returning to that place. Maybe the mind can be the gateway, but I don't want to stay stuck there. <laughs> And what you feel when you say this wow is joy. Mm. Gratitude gives you joy. And that is why it is a, a very good path because it has such a positive feedback and so, so immediately a positive feedback. If you practice uh, zazen, you may sit there for a very long time and have all sorts of pains and aches in your back and in your legs uh, before you get the joy of some breakthrough. But when you practice gratitude before the day is out, you'll already have some more joy and, and you'll aware of that. Uh, I wanted to go back for a moment to the power, the power structure, the power pyramid and the network as you called it, and I was reading about your experience at Esalen too. So, you know, for a community that has more a power pyramid, right? It can feel, I think, like very stable. Like there's no way to ever move away from the power pyramid. It's going to be like this forever. Have you found any any answer or maybe a way to suggest how you could possibly move from the power pyramid towards a network structure? As you say, for an existing community, that might be very, very difficult. Um, we see that, for instance, in the church today, that Pope Francis is trying, with obviously constantly trying 
to uh, <coughs> put uh, <coughs> through the syn syn synod way of the synod to uh, dismantle this uh, this monolithic culture because all over the world you have so many different cultures the Christian ideal can be uh, expressed and embodied in so many different forms, not just in the one that we are accustomed to. Uh, so that would be network against power pyramid. And he's really trying that, but you see also how much opposition he has against that. So if this is on a very large scale, uh, it's also in a, in a small community. But uh, it's, you can at least try in your own attitude uh, not to be fearful, there's where it begins, you see, and uh, the moment you take the fear out, the power structure has no fuel anymore. It's fueled by fear. So if you, the more you become trusting yourself, the more you uh, live even within the power structure, but more on a, on a uh, network type of, uh, with a, a network attitude. And that is contagious because people see how much nicer it is. And the network, it seems that it's really moving from a scarcity mentality of competition to seeing that, you know, we're all teammates, whether or not we want to be. We're in this together. Like That's the reality of the situation. So is it an awareness of that reality that's so important. And also, we can work on making ourselves less important and uh, respecting the other. Uh, the human dignity uh, is... Uh, is uh, endangered by the power pyramid. We see that on every, everywhere. And if we cultivate, even in a relatively small community where the power pyramid is uh, the, the pattern, if we cultivate uh, respect for the human dignity of the other, we are also undermining uh, the the structure. It's a, 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 actually, it's a powerful political tool, respect for the uh, dignity of the other person. Maybe even those that are at the top of the power pyramid. But I, I said maybe even those that are at top the para para pyramid, having respect for them too, showing respect for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. respect and compassion. Mm. Uh, 
I found on the internet, I think anyone can easily find it, uh, a picture of little Vladimir Putin sitting on his mother's lap and the mother has his, her arm around him and looks at him with such pride. It, it's such a beautiful picture. And that little boy, he doesn't even wear a T-shirt. He looks frozen and cold and fearful. I look at that picture. I have it so in my heart that I don't even need to look at it. I have it there. And that makes it for a totally different attitude. That's another human being who in that position is doing horrible things. But other people, uh, he's a brother too. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you so much. I have one final question, if I could ask. Um, you know, one of the things that really lit me up when I heard Swami Sachidananda answer, you know, what is the, the purpose of life? He said to have fun. I wonder, is that also very important to you? Is that one of your priorities to have fun? <laughs> well, I speak of joy and he also meant, <laughs> meant joy, mm. which is very different from happiness. Uh, there are, in the middle midst of unhappiness, you can have deep joy. Uh, it, it is what springs from gratitude, from trust in life. And Swamiji Sachinanda also meant joy, the, the happiness that doesn't depend on what happens. But he had good reasons for saying uh, fun, because that's what people uh, are familiar with, and that's uh, in his mouth, it was anything but superficial. We say deep rooted fun. <laughs> right, like fun, fun, fun is to love, fun is to be generous and to give, right? To go and to understand what is, what is really fun. Yeah. Another, another aspect of, of it is humor, humor. And humor is such a beautiful word. It hangs together with human. To be human is to have humor. Uh, uh, we are, and that again hangs together with humus, earth. You see, we are made of earth. We are the earthlings. Uh, even that goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, um, corresponds uh, the name Adam, which means the human, <coughs> corresponds to Adama, which is the earth. Uh, so we are the earthlings. And if we are, have humor, we are down to earth and humility. Humility is not humiliation, it's down to earthness. So humor, uh, if you have humor, you have everything. Humility, down to earthness deep hum humanness. That deep humanness was something that shone forth beautifully in Swami Satchitananda. But as Pascal said, the human is far more than the merely human. To be human 
Amor tend to be merely human. Mm. Brother David, thank you so much. Thank you for being you. <laughs> thank you for being you. <laughs> and we are all thanking life. Spirituality is uh, measured by our aliveness. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.